Creative Babble. I'm Neil McTighe. And I'm Javier Leva. And this is the Ponzi Playbook. Javier, have you ever had a dream of smuggling cocaine into the United States? Neil, are you kidding me? I grew up in Miami in the 80s. <laughs> Ooh, that must have been some good coke down there, I bet. <laughs> oh, actually, you know, it's more than just a dream. I grew up, and this is a real story, I grew up in a drug lord's house uh, at oh near Miami. It, like, there's an island right before you get to Miami Beach. And I stayed in this mansion while the whole time he was in prison, right? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, that's where I grew up. And I, I actually would grow up at the restaurant where they would smuggle in the drugs. So I am very well-versed in this uh, world, Neil. Wow. So, yeah, in a restaurant, too, to smuggle it in. So everybody's, you know, using Coke and losing their appetite. Oh, I, I beg to disagree. You know, it was a seafood restaurant and it was delicious. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they knew how to balance both business and operations. And you also were a, uh, a young kid who was not uh, partaking in the uh, the white powdery crap, right? I was just okay. a little boy. It, it wasn't until like much later when I grew up that I realized, oh yeah, I grew up oh. around a bunch of drug traffickers. Javier, then the story we're about to dive into today will, I'm sorry to say, will <laughs> kind of take you home. Um, it might feel a little warm and fuzzy. I wasn't planning on talking about all that, but <laughs> so Neil, as fascinating as drug smuggling is, I think you got the wrong podcast. This is the Ponzi playbook. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Not the Narcos podcast. So what does smuggling cocaine into the United States have anything to do with Ponzi schemes? Today, we're going to learn how being a drug smuggler or at least assisting drug smugglers and participating in that world is a perfect playbook for running a Ponzi scheme, but also a perfect playbook for getting convicted of running a Ponzi scheme. So we're going to talk about Deborah Lynn Mercer Irwin. Yeah, that's a, a mouthful of a name. So mm -hmm. let's just call her Little Debbie. Okay, that's my <laughs> like name. That. I'm going to go with Little Debbie. Little Debbie. All right. She's from Oklahoma City. We're also going to talk about Kaylee Moffat, who is Little Debbie's accomplice. What did they do, Javier? They helped register airplanes for international criminal drug organizations. I'm not kidding you. Like, <laughs> that was their thing. They just said, we got airplanes in the U.S. These folks want airplanes. Let's help them. Neil, this is a classic case of supply and demand. You know, the drug lords need airplanes. Deborah, she runs a trust company. Hey, why not, right? I know. I mean, you have to get the product from one location to the other and ultimately to the customer. They help register airplanes. Forget this. International criminal drug organizations out of countries like Belize, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, Honduras, you name it. 
And this story is fascinating because you have two things happening at the same time, right? You have uh, this company who is basically connecting drug lords to aircrafts and doing it legally, which is shocking. And then you have this other company that's running a Ponzi scheme. So Javier, can you walk our listeners a bit through this scheme and how this thing works? So if a non-U.S. citizen, let's say a drug lord or a terrorist, wanted to register an aircraft with the FAA, well, the best way to do that is to set up a trust managed by a U.S. trustee. That way, you're disguising the true ownership. Little Debbie is the one that's going to make this thing happen. And she has two companies. One is called Wright Brothers Aircraft Title Company. And the other one is called Aircraft Guarantee Corporation. So the title company served as an escrow agent for transactions involving the trust company. They were responsible for these FAA filings to register these aircrafts. Yeah, so it's a pretty simple formula, right? You've got these non-U.S. citizens who want to fly aircraft in and out of the United States. And then you've got little Debbie who's like, yeah, I'll help you with that. Sounds like a totally legitimate business at this point, but obviously we're dealing with, you know, criminal drug organizations here. So little Debbie is turning a blind eye to the crime that's uh, happening in front of her. Well, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, they seem like legit businesses, right? And this is a loophole for drug lords and terrorists. You can, you know, use a trust to register an aircraft. Now, the problem is that little Debbie might have turned too much of a blind eye. Yeah, because the money was good. Uh, so oh, yeah. much so that, you know, the facts reveal that there were over 1,000 aircraft Uh, with foreign owners that the trust company actually assisted in these FAA filings. So it's kind of incredible. I mean, 1,000. The trust company is supposed to dig in and figure out, you know, is this a legitimate transaction too? It's a part of the deal, right? It's an obligation. You can't just facilitate criminal transactions or at least transactions that are designed to hide a criminal act. So it's it's a questionable, you know, gray area that little Debbie was... uh, hanging out in. But here's my favorite part. So Neil, tell us about, you know, it wasn't just facilitating these trusts and the titles for the aircraft. She took it a step further, right? She made it super easy for these drug traffickers to smuggle drugs in and out of the country. How was she able to pull that off? You know, the key is this end tail number. The drug lords need the end tail number because that demonstrates that it's a U.S. registered aircraft. So... Foreign countries are less likely to ground a U.S. registered aircraft, and therefore they're less likely to find the cocaine, for example. So they could just go about their business flying in and out. And, you know, little Debbie said, "Okay, I'll do that. But this is an expensive service you're asking for. And she was paid handsomely as she was uh, turning that blind eye. But Neil, this is great. This is a a fascinating story about an international drug smuggling scheme. But where's the Ponzi part of it, huh? Like, where is this? Yeah, this isn't the narco cast, right? We're on the Ponzi playbook. I'm going to get you that answer right after the break.
All right, we're back. Now let's talk about how little Debbie took her little drug smuggling operation and also, on top of that, added a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, little Debbie was up to a little more than just uh, assisting these drug smugglers. She was also running a Ponzi scheme. And when you combine it all together, Javier, this was a $350 million fraud scheme and criminal enterprise that was being run out of Oklahoma and Texas. So a big, big number, a big, big story. So let's get into the details. So here's how the Ponzi scheme worked. From 2016 to 2021, Little Debbie, who was living in Oklahoma City along with her accomplice, Kaylee Moffat, also from Oklahoma City, conspired along with Federico Machado of Florida and Carlos Villarutia of McAllen, Texas. But Little Debbie and these co-defendants, basically they engaged in these fraudulent aircraft sales that were hiding illegally obtained funds. So basically what Little Debbie was doing was she was offering to investors the opportunity to finance and purchase aircraft. She and these co-defendants would create fake documents and basically also identify fake aircraft that were frankly unsellable. And she would present those to both buyers and investors. The true owners of these aircraft had zero knowledge or any intent of selling their aircraft. So it was never something that they could actually transact, but little Debbie figured no one's going to dig that deep, and she had a good reputation. So she's basically selling airplanes that are not for sale? Yeah, that's basically the case. Like Just kind of go through a FAA catalog and identify airplanes and say, okay, I can probably just pretend like this one is, you know, up for sale and I'll connect all the dots. And that's when the money starts to flow. Hmm. These investors weren't planning on flying the plane. Yeah. It was just an investment for them. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's like, like flipping a house. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first heard about the story, I thought it was so weird. It was like, why would she sell planes that weren't for sale? I mean, her plan was doomed to begin with because these buyers would never get to fly their plane. But that wasn't the point, right? The point was, imagine these are airplanes, but imagine they're flipping houses, right? You buy a house, it's a fixer upper, and then you sell it for more. And so that's what these investors were hoping for, right? That they would make a profit from the sales and purchases of these planes, right? That's right. So she's sort of acting as this intermediary who connects the investors, the buyers, she has the escrow account, money's flowing back and forth. So over four years, Little Debbie collected a staggering total of $4.9 million in escrow fees. And the scheme worked like this. Investors signed these escrow agreements with Wright Brothers, believing that their money would be held in that account until Machado, the co-conspirator, and the owner of a business called South Aviation would complete the aircraft purchase. So in return for putting up the money, the investors then received these like large fees. And then the contracts assured those investors that all that money would be returned just a few months later once Machado finalized an aircraft sale. And I'm going to give you an example. So in March of 2020, an investor deposited $6 million into that Wright Brothers account, received $300,000 back immediately. 
And then instead of that money being left in the escrow, 375000 was sent to Machado. And Little Debbie received $50,000 in terms of an escrow fee. And then shortly after what happens, another investor puts $10 million in. Instead of using that money to buy an airplane, $6 million is then sent right back to that prior investor who invested that $6 million. So they estimate $750 million flowed through Wright Brothers and that investors lost $240 million, no joke, to fake planes. So it was all smokescreen. As soon as the money from new investors came in, Little Debbie would immediately send it to pay out earlier investors in the scheme. Right? <laughs> there's the Ponzi scheme. There's the Ponzi scheme is that there's this big pot of money. Folks are throwing the money in there in hope of making more money, but it's a sham. She's living a lavish lifestyle, and so are her conspirators. But I think one of the greatest parts about this whole story is that Little Debbie was running the successful drug smuggling operation and a Ponzi scheme, and no one noticed until two journalists got curious about why does this little small town in Texas called Onalaska have a thousand registered aircrafts? Yet they don't even have an airport. So that question, that curiosity, those journalists started pulling the thread. And I want to give a shout out to the journalists because investigative reporters from WFAA in Dallas, the two journalists, Tanya Iser and Mark Smith from WFAA, started pulling on these threads. You know, that question, why are there a thousand registered aircrafts and no airport in this small town of Onalaska? And then everything started to unravel, right? This reminds me of a certain someone I know. Someone, uh, <laughs> a Javier Leva of Pretend Podcast, which I'd like to give a little shout out to if you've ever listened. I enjoy a good rabbit hole. I, I do. And I appreciate <laughs> when someone goes down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and we tip our hats to Tanya and Mark down at WFAA, just like you said, because it's hard work and it's scary work too. Yeah, they didn't even realize how scary. These two journalists had no idea how risky this story would be because they don't realize that on the other end of that thread, it's not just one drug lord, it's possibly hundreds of drug lords, right? That, exactly. That are, are, are registering these planes under these trust companies and they have no idea, but they are slowly unraveling the story, right? Yeah. God forbid it wouldn't be the first time, you know, that someone has targeted a journalist. So I admire their courage. And frankly, they're incredible journalism, too, because when you dive into this story, it's fantastic reporting. Let's get into the downfall. On February 21st, 2021, the United States Attorney's Office charged Little Debbie and all her co-conspirators with conspiracy to manufacture and distribute cocaine, money laundering, wire fraud, export violations, and federal registration violations involving an aircraft. Not a lot of these cases, Javier, actually go to trial Ponzi schemes or fraud schemes, but this one did. And it went to trial. And guess what? Little Debbie blamed everything on her co-conspirator, Machado. And she said, I didn't know anything. She was arguing 
that blind eye theory, right? That it was mm-hmm. just, she was just doing her business. And she was also arguing that, no, all those transactions that, you know, were, I was receiving the escrow fee for, nap, those were just legitimately failed transactions. All of that was easy to prove at trial. But Machado, well, he remains an international fugitive. He's fighting extradition in his native Argentina. He's on house arrest and he's awaiting an order from Argentina's highest court. Basically, in 2021, when the DOJ filed that indictment, he was put on house arrest in Argentina and he's been there ever since. Let's listen to a clip of Machado. It's a group of few people. They thought they were investing in something. They invest in something else. It can't get fixed. This was the audio from an interview conducted by the investigative journalists at WFAA. Machado told them, hey, you know, investors thought they were investing in one thing, but they were really investing in something else. It was a fascinating two-week trial that took place in Sherman, Texas, and Deborah Lynn Mercer Erwin, Little Debbie, was convicted of various federal crimes. And her co-defendants, Kylie Moffitt and Carlos Vila Urutia, pleaded guilty, while the four other defendants still have an active arrest warrant for them. So Little Debbie, Deborah Mercer Irwin, faces up to life in federal prison and is awaiting sentencing. It's not hard to see why this case would catch the Ponzi playbook's <laughs> eye, right? Because we're following Ponzi cases every day across the country or even internationally. This one involves drugs. It involves the classic Ponzi, of course. And it even goes to trial and it results in a conviction. While those points alone make this story unique, it also is unique in terms of how many agencies, both international, federal, state, and also local, were involved in this takedown. I created a list, Javier, of all of the agencies. We're not going to list them all. It's a lot. It's crazy. I mean, it's over 10 agencies. For example, like Homeland Security Investigations. We got the Department of Commerce. We got the Office of Export Enforcement. And we even have the agencies in Guatemala and Colombia. I mean, it is, this is a truly global investigation that went into this. It surely is. Yeah. 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 And they all worked together as part of what was called the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, which is designed to, you know, identify, disrupt, dismantle drug traffickers, money launderers, gangs. And they worked together and, well, frankly, it worked. And now we know why on Alaska there were 1,000 plus registered aircraft with no airport because it was all just a big sham and it was linked to a Ponzi and a drug smuggling enterprise. Well, Neil, this was a fantastic story. You know what I love about the Ponzi playbook is that the Ponzi scheme that part, the mechanics of it always stays the same, like a Ponzi scheme. It's very simple at its atomic level. But what this show does is that it shows the different flavors of Ponzi schemes. And this one, man, this one is spicy. (laughs) This one is spicy. And and it just had to be on the Ponzi playbook. So if you like this episode, please tell your friends about it. Tweet about it. Share it. We are immensely grateful to have the listeners. And if you even really want to, you can contribute to our own Ponzi scheme, just uh, head over to... Guaranteed returns. Guaranteed returns. I mean, we're bringing it every two weeks. So if you want to keep those guaranteed returns up, 
don't hesitate to uh, contribute to our Ponzi scheme, which you can find in the bio of our Twitter account, which is at Ponzi Playbook. So, so Neil, what's coming up next on the Ponzi Playbook? Well, I mean, if aircraft and drugs are the basis for a good Ponzi scheme, then mobile homes have to be, right? So yeah. why don't we head down and meet the queen of mobile homes who Ooh. ran, well, a very unsuccessful Ponzi scheme. All right, Neil. So that's it. That's it for today's episode. Do you have any parting advice for us? My parting advice is very simple. Whatever you do, don't start a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme.